Go ahead and find 2 Kings chapter 23 in your Bibles. We'll be in verses 26 through 37, so we'll finish up the chapter. And then we only have two more chapters left, and we'll be finishing up our study in 2 Kings. It's been a good one. Not sure where we'll go next for our Sunday school class. Amen. Once everyone finds 2 Kings 23. Give you a couple more seconds. All right. 2 Kings chapter 23. I'll begin to read here in verses 26. Let me find my place. All right. Verse starting at verse 26. 2 Kings chapter 23. The scripture reads this. Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him without. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off this city Jerusalem which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, My name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and king Hosiah went against him, and he slew him at Megiddo, where he had seen him. And his servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo, and brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own sepulcher. And the people of the land took Jehoiahaz, the son of Hosiah, and anointed him, and made him king in his father's stead. So let's stop there for a second and, and look at a few things. So, uh, we know that Hosiah, there was a great period of reformations that had taken place in the land under Hosiah's reign, and they had put away all those idols, um, it, they had uh, read the, 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 the book of the law. Everybody had recommitted themselves to God, recommitted to the covenant, um, and agreed to follow the Lord and, and everything else. And so it seemed like you could almost expect a lot of good things would come from, from that. But God still um, had delivered the message of wrath against Judah. And so we find here in verse 26, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath. Despite all the good things that had happened under Hosiah's reign there in Judah. And so it's like, wow. And you look at that and you're thinking, man, I didn't necessarily expect that. Despite the Reformation period, despite um, everything that had happened, the, the, the fierceness of God's wrath that was promised on Judah was because of the provocation of, under Manasseh, but that was a process that began much before his reign, even. And so we'd even established that, you know, Manasseh, he had done all that evil, but then it showed us in Second Chronicles when we looked at that scripture that he had he had turned back to God, right? He had humbled himself before the Lord. And so this kind of came out to me as I was thinking about it and kind of meditating on it. And this is a you know, this is a fact that we all need to to embrace and understand. Just because we repent and turn to God does not mean that there isn't consequences for our sin. It's that simple. And, uh, you know, oftentimes 
when we are in sin and we, you know, we, we carry on for a time in it, then God finally puts an end to it, humbles us, and we say, okay, and we repent and we turn back to God. God, you're right. I don't, I'm sorry, God. We turn back to God. But sometimes when we go that far with things, those consequences in, the, in our physical life may carry on even though we've gotten right with God in our heart. Amen? Um, so that, and that's, you know, there's a lot of examples of that. Um, and so, and, and perhaps maybe you can think of an example of that in your own Christian life where, you know, something was going on, you got right with God, but the consequence for whatever happened carried on afterwards. Um, I certainly have a few instances like that in my own um, spiritual life. Uh, but hold your spot there. I want to point something out to you that I also looked at in that verse in Second Chronicles or in that passage. So go to Second Chronicles 33, if you will, for a second. This also kind of stood out to me. And I thought, Lord, help us not do this in our own life. But Second Chronicles 33, verse 12. Oftentimes, this is what happens, though. It tells us here that Manasseh didn't actually beseech the Lord until, until he was in affliction and humbled by God. You see that? So it says in verse 12, And when he was in affliction... He besought the Lord as God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Now I'm for one, am extremely thankful that when I'm in affliction because of my own stupidity, really, if you will, and I call out to God, I'm sure I'm thankful for his mercy. Amen. I'm thankful for his grace. I'm thankful for his mercy. Um, in fact, I was in great affliction when I first turned to God in my life and, and wanted to be saved. Amen. So you know, that certainly happens quite a bit. But I tell you what, it's good when we don't wait until we're all the way in affliction for our own stubbornness, right? To turn to God. If we would turn to God to begin with and turn to Him first and seek His will for our life and seek His wisdom. Maybe we would spare, be spared from some of the affliction we go through in our life. Amen? Um, and that's, that can certainly happen as well. And so that would be ideal. Um, and, and you know, today, you just think about it. You're sharing the Word of God with somebody in their life. You see that the things they're doing and the decisions they're making are going to lead to probably pain and suffering. And you're trying to share the wisdom that God gives us in the Bible with them and get them to... You know, if you do that, this is probably not going to turn out well. That's really not what God would want for your life. And then, oftentimes, that's met with um, resistance or just sometimes maybe not not necessarily even like a mean-spirited, like, I don't want to hear that. Sometimes it's just in one ear, out the other, and that's just the way people are with God's Word sometimes. And we just, you know, I'll figure it out on my own. How many of us here know somebody that wants to figure it all out on their own? Amen. You don't have to put your hand up. It just, we all, how many of us here were the ones that wanted to figure it out all on our own? Guilty. <laughs> and then uh, when I did figure it out, well, I was in affliction turning to God. But so, uh, let me give you this. When you wait until your sin brings affliction to turn to God, you might well receive mercy and forgiveness, but you may also have to live with the consequences even after you've gotten right. 
Um, and so that's just, uh, that's just the reality of it. I think when that, when that is the scenario, I have consequences for past decisions, but I've gotten right with God. Um, I'm still living with those consequences. The proper, the proper outlook, at least what I try to share, at least the way I feel about it is, I'm just thankful that my spiritual condition is right. I'm thankful that I've gotten my heart right with God. I'm thankful that I've gotten my sins forgiven. I'm thankful that no matter what I have to deal with in this life, that I know my eternity has been put in order the right way because I've gotten my heart right with God. So, uh, so that's, that's important. Um, and that's just spiritual principles. So think before we do things. Don't be stubborn and wait until affliction comes to turn to God. Turn to God first. Um, here's another thing that uh, stuck out to me here in verse 27. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city Jerusalem which I have chosen and the house of which I said my name shall be there. And it says that again in verse 26 that this was the provocations that had occurred during the reign of Manasseh. Let me give you this. Sometimes our sin causes other people to suffer. Um, and that's another thing to think about. Um, our own rebellion, our own stubbornness, our own resistance to the Holy Ghost of God, our own sin uh, and our own rejection of God in our life, um, those things cause other people to suffer. You know, a lot of times the attitude towards sin is, well, I make my own decisions and it's, I will, I'll do what I want to do and I'll live with the consequences of it, will you? Because sometimes somebody else has to live with the consequences of it. Are you thinking about them? Are you thinking about yourself? Sometimes people who are very stubborn feel that they're capable of dealing with the consequences if it's not what they expect it to be, but they don't have any thought of how it affects somebody else. Amen? I'll give you an example. It's recent. It happened here in Ohio. I don't know where. A young lady, they were drinking, doing drugs, whatever. She was a teenager. And she had a boyfriend, a couple other friends in the car. I don't know if you heard about this. I don't remember how long ago it happened. Got into some kind of argument or whatever. And in her anger, in haste, smashed down the accelerator, propelled the car into a, a fixed object, I presume a wall or something like that. Probably had no intentions of killing anybody, but she did. And now she's 19 and she's facing life sentence because she was convicted in mur for murder. Well, that's a, that's a lot of consequences for a really bad decision. It came from sin. She'll live with those consequences the rest of her life. I hope that she gets right with God in the process. Thank the Lord for prison ministry. But she hurt the other families. You think about the pain that that causes. Somebody gets behind the wheel drunk gets into an accident and kills somebody. The family lives with the, lives with the consequences of that person's sin. Amen? Um, and so there's a lot of things, you know, uh, adultery. How many families have been ripped apart by that kind of stuff? So, and I can sit here and I can name thing after, you know, all kinds of things. But the biblical truth of the matter is we have to consider our manner of lifestyle, I guess, if you will, because the decisions we make can cause pain and affliction on somebody else. And that's never good. Uh, we don't want to do that. We should want to be the best 
that we can be for the Lord considering every decision we make, realizing that all sin hurts somebody. All sin will hurt somebody. And if even if you think your sin doesn't hurt anybody else, it'll still hurt you, even if it doesn't. So uh, there's always a price to pay in the end. Amen. Uh, let me give you this illustration. If you'll remember this, remember Achan or Akon and I in our study in Joshua there in Joshua chapter seven. And he had uh, what was it that he did? He touched the accursed thing and he kind of stole the idols that they weren't supposed to have. And he, didn't he have it hidden or something like that? And so uh, uh, Israel. They'd gone into battle, and they had just won a big battle, and they'd gone into this battle, and they were getting whooped. And even though God had promised them victory, amen? And so Joshua was like, wait a minute, something's not right here. Why is it that we're not being given the victory that we're supposed to have, and then God revealed to Joshua their sin in the camp, amen? So that's kind of another illustration there. Um, the fact that Akon's sin cost the whole camp their victory in battle. Amen? And so that can happen. Look, my sin can cause my family to fail. Any one of our sins can cause our church to suffer. Amen? And so it's important to consider those things. And so that, I thought, was a good illustration of that. Um, and here, in this chapter, in, in 2 Kings in 23, we see Judah being removed into captivity just like Israel was. And God even tells them that. Um, just as Israel was moved into captivity, so he's going to do with Judah. Now remember, part of that was already foretold by God through the prophets that Israel and Judah would both see the Babylonian captivity, the 70 years. And so um, that's what happened. It was foretold by the prophets that both would stay in Babylon for a 70-year captivity period. Now let's look a little further here. I, I love this. I'll pick up here in verse 28. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? In his days, this Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, comes up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. Now look at what Hosea did. He went against them. Uh, and, and, and the way I read this at first was, wait, did Hosea slay... Uh, the, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that's not what happened. Hosea died an honorable death in battle is what happened. Um, and so he went into battle and he did so to protect Judah from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He knew that there were some ramifications of um, this Pharaoh coming into power. And so after Hosea had died, they carried him back and buried him there in Jerusalem in his own sepulcher. And the people of the land took Jehoiahaz, the son of Hosiah, and anointed him and made him king. So they took his son um, to reign in his stead. Now it tells us this. We'll move on. Jeho in verse 31, Jehoiahaz was 20 and 3 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. I thought that was an interesting phrase. He didn't do what his biological father, Hosiah, had done. He's talking about the fathers and the other rulers of, of Judah. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bands at Riblah in the land of Hamath, 
that he might not reign in Jerusalem and put the land to a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Uzziah, king in the room of Hosiah his father, and turned his name to Jehoiakim, and took Jehoiahaz away, and he came to Egypt and died there. And Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the commandment of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold of the people of the land of everyone according to his taxation to give it unto Pharaoh Necho. Boy, you see, that's some, that's some treacherous dealings going on there, right? So first, um, Jehoiahaz is reigning in Hosea's stead did evil in the sight of the Lord and was basically immediate in a very short period of time was bound by Pharaoh. Uh, he was imprisoned, kind of a political prisoner, if you will. And then Judah, the land was extorted for silver and gold as a result. So Pharaoh is now, you're going to pay me this gold, this silver or, or else, right? Um, it just points out to me, maybe the motive for Hosea going into that battle with Pharaoh to begin with, right? It's as if he knew that he was protecting his family and nation the whole time. He knew what he was protecting them from. Uh, he knew that there were some motives there with Egypt. Um, basically, if there was any chance of saving them from such oppression, he was willing to die trying. Amen? And, uh, and thank God for that. So that is engrafted in our nature today, is it not? When we see an immediate threat to our well-being, to our way of life, to our security, to our family's well-being, to our national well-being, if there's any way to save us from such oppression of falling to the hands of our enemy, we'll go into battle and we'll die trying. Amen? And uh, that, so that was an honorable death, and uh, that was the motive of it. So after imprisoning Jehoiahaz, Pharaoh, and I, and I, and I caught this, if you, if you caught it right, he hand-selected the next king, amen? Still from Hosea's family, but he hand-selected uh, Eliakim and then changed his name to Jehoiakim, and it pointed out to a political relationship that was designed to be in favor of Egypt, amen? So he has his own, his own motives in there. So he, he kills Hosea, he takes... The one son, it gets selected by the people, comes into power only for a short time. He then is imprisoned by the Pharaoh of Egypt. The land is then extorted. Then the Pharaoh hand-selects Eliakim, changes his name, puts him in the power because he knows that he'll be like his little pawn and do everything that he wants him to do, which we see he exacted the amount that Egypt was extorting from him um, in the taxation and all that and all that going on there so let me give you this this is kind of a a biblical principle whenever one nation wants to control who's in leadership in another nation watch out amen whenever one country wants to have their dealings in what another country is doing uh watch out leaders put into power by force are usually there for another's agenda so here you have one that's been put in by force why because that nation's now going to serve egypt and that's, that's what is happening. Now, that all said, we know that God allowed this to happen because this is what God foretold would happen as a result of their sin. So, so we have that. Now, let me finish up this chapter. I'll give you some final thoughts on it, but those final thoughts will, will fill up the rest of our time. 
Where did I leave off at? <clears throat> what verse was I looking at? Verse 30. Did I read through 35? Yes. Let's start at 36. Jehoiakim was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So now, I want to point this out to you. By this time, as we're getting closer to the end of this, this book, we've seen quite a bit of a roller coaster ride with leadership for both Israel and Judah, have we not? I mean, one, we have one king who's right, and then we have a couple kings that are evil in the sight of the Lord, and they're kind of doing this, right? Wouldn't that be fair? They have, this, they have these periods of time. You had Hezekiah, you had Uzziah, you had those that did right in the sight of God, and then everyone got on board with those leaders, and they were like, yeah, we'll do what God tells us to do, and then God blesses them, and they have these periods of time where they're blessed, and then they go right back down into decline and, and moral corruption and all this other stuff. It's just back and forth. It's this big tug of war. And I was thinking about this. This really illustrates to us man's inability to keep the law. Amen? Because we have to keep in perspective, this is before Christ. This is before salvation because of what Christ had done on the cross. This is before God gave us the Holy Spirit. And so what we see here is the exact reason why we needed Jesus to come to begin with and die for our sins because we can't keep the law on our own. Amen? They're just following along whatever leader comes and tells them to do. You're going to get right with God. Okay, yes sir. You're going to worship idols. And then they go right along following that leadership. Amen? And so man is incapable of keeping the law on his own. And so that's kind of the spiritual principle now that's jumping out at me as we've gone back and forth so many times with this king is evil and this king was right. The spiritual principle is that they did not have redemption in Christ or the Holy Spirit of God. And so what we find here is that man can follow out of obligation. Man can follow out of obligation. That's what they've done up to this point. They followed certain things out of obligation. And they can do that for a time. But no man was able to be perfect under the law. Only Jesus Christ was perfect. And the law could not make anyone perfect. Amen? And so, think about it. Had Judah nationally, under the principles of Hosea's reign, been perfect in their heart towards God, God would have surely put away the wrath from their land. But they couldn't be perfect in their heart towards God because they were doing things out of the obligation and, and uh, bound to the law. And they were, they, were, they were doing things that wasn't necessarily, it was just strictly out of uh, legal obedience. And so the wrath could have been put away if their heart had been right. But we know that no man could be perfected under the law. And so let me, let me give you this. Let's hold our spot there. Turn to Hebrews, if you will. And we'll look at that principle in Hebrews chapter 10. I mean, there's a lot of Scripture on that. You could look at Romans chapter 7. I mean, even Paul talks about that struggle. You know, we need Jesus Christ. We are completely without hope without Him. 
But in Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at these eight, look, look at 18 verses here. The first 18 verses, I'll read them to you. Scripture says this, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. You see that? So, the law is good when used lawfully. We know that. Um, we know that as, as Christians, you know, today, it's, I don't have... I haven't been given a license to sin and just go out breaking every commandment because, oh, well, Jesus fulfilled the law. And I, no, the law is still good, and we should still want to live a morally upright life because we carry a testimony for Christ. Um, and so there's quite a bit of things that we uh, do because we know that it's not, it's not because I have to, it's because I don't want to reproach the testimony of my Lord how can I win anyone to Christ if, if, I'm do, if I look just and act just like the rest of the world? Amen? And so we carry a good testimony. But we also know the law is used to bring us all to the conviction of our sin. We're all guilty before God. And so we understand our inability to be perfect under the law and to please God. And so we turn to Christ. But the law says here, a shadow of good things to come, but not the very image of the things. Now, we know that their temple worship that was given under the law, they would sacrifice the you know the lambs and all of that, and they would do those. They would have a trespass offering, a sin offering, and all these things. They did the offering for atonement. It was done year by year, but it could not make them perfect. Amen. If it could, then their own conscience would have allowed them to be perfect under the law, keeping the law of God. It would have made a big difference, but we were not able to do that. It was only to show, even those sacrifices were only to show the perfect sacrifice that was going to come and be carried out by our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, see that? Because that the worshippers once purged should have no more con conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should, have, should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Talking about Christ coming into the world. Verse 6, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. That was Christ coming to do the will of God. Remember he said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will and not my will be done. Verse 8, above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Taking away the first what? Testament. That he may establish the what? Second covenant, the second testament, the new testament in his blood. Um, verse 10, By the which will we are sanctified. By keeping the law? No. How are we sanctified? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen? 
By sanctification means to be set apart, set apart for God. And so by accepting Christ as our Savior, we are then set apart for God's purposes and set apart for heaven itself. Um, because he offered himself once for all, better than the continually the continual offerings of before, because he's done it once for all. Why? Because Christ makes us, he perfects us, he makes us perfect. We don't feel perfect when we're living this life in the flesh that continuously nags us, but we've been made perfect in the sight of God through accepting Christ. What's inside of us has been made right with God through accepting Jesus Christ. And he has a plan for this outward shell that is not fit for the perfected spirit and soul that's within us. He's going to give us a glorified body one day. Amen? A body that won't have the sin in it and everything else and temptation and all that. Verse 11, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Amen? Aren't you thankful today that our Savior is at the right hand of God making intercession for us? Verse 13, From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Say that with me one time. No more. Amen? Doesn't it feel good to say that? It's all because of what He did for us. Amen? Trying to keep it on our own, trying to obey all the rules and regulations of the law on their own, we, get, we always find ourselves back in the place of being disappointed. Disappointed in ourselves. This, you know, I just, nothing I do is going to be good enough for God. Of course not, because you need Jesus Christ. He's the one that put away those sins that they would be remembered no more. Verse 18, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Jesus has come and done, uh, done that offering once and for all. Amen. So my closing thoughts on it, and I will have time to ask if there's any, any input from, from everyone here for our Sunday school class this morning. I'm glad that I get a chance to get thoughts from anyone if they want to share. If not, we'll close out a little early. But my final thought on it was God's wrath which we see Judah, notwithstanding, he didn't, he's not going to hold back his wrath on Judah as we read in the chapter, but God's wrath has been put away from us today. Amen? Not because of our perfection, but because his wrath was already executed on Christ in our place. Aren't you thankful? Amen? Let me pray out and then I'll get some thoughts. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the lesson, and it's been a good one, good study today. And thank you for pointing out to us in your scripture our complete inability to keep the law, Lord. It cannot make any of us perfect, but faith in Jesus Christ does, Lord. And we're thankful for that this morning, God. We ask that you will uh, bless our services today. 
Uh, we're, we're excited, Lord. Thank you for 41 years as a church here in New Lexington. Thank you for our Sacrifice Sunday and everybody that will be coming to our service this morning. And then for the fellowship and the meal afterwards, Lord, we're just looking forward to just being blessed, uh, being here today, Lord. So I just ask your blessing would be on everyone trying to get to church this morning. Keep everyone safe, Lord, and then just pour your spirit out on us today, Lord. Let us feel your um, presence uh, in the midst of us, Lord, and may you be glorified in all that we say and do, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we got a few minutes. Anybody got anything they want to share from the lesson? Anything that stuck out to you? <clears throat> Nothing today? No. Amen. And he's faithful and just. That's right. And he will forgive those sins and cleanse us of some of our unrighteousness. <laughs> All of our unrighteousness. Amen. That's right.